0: That morning, I mean, there was before the cameras got on and everything. I mean, it was a it was a war zone. It literally was a war zone.
1: Welcome
2: back, everyone! New episode of the Bright Eyes Podcast. Meteorologist Andrew Brightman here. Of course, I've got my partner. An atmospheric crime meteorologist Guy Brown. How are you doing, man?
1: It's nice to talk to you again. It's been a little while. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, the weather's warming up here in the Upper Midwest. I'm getting ready to get outside. Um, it's everything out here. You know, we've been cooped up all winter, so um, we got some sunshine and warm temperatures. I'm about to take advantage.
2: You got to take advantage because I'm down here in Louisiana. It's about to get just like literally hot as hell. As we go through Mother's Day weekend and next week could be talking about multiple days of, of record highs for our viewing area really just is going to be incredible some of the heat that we're going to be contending with. Also still got to deal with severe weather I know your time is going to be right around the corner as we get to the end of May and heading into June for you man so you know what are you thinking about as you start to head towards your severe weather season, probably right around the corner. There's only going to be so many times you're going to be able to enjoy these walks before you have to do extra coverage, like I'm likely going to be doing.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, we, we already have our on-call schedule. All of that worked out and it does get active in Minnesota. In fact, we've already had a couple tornadoes this year um, and they were significant. Uh, They produced some significant damage, so, you know, we're as, we're as ready as we're going to be. And uh, in fact, it's funny, we got some added moisture coming in early next week. And yep. I think we could at least be in the slight risk for a portion of the state <clears throat> um, early next week. So we'll watch that. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll be watching. I'll be watching that for sure,
2: man. would love to see any of the coverage that you got. Uh, sure, certain people at home would like to see that as well. Now, we did have another chance to do an interview. The other week, we had Chief Meteorologist Jeff Castle from KSLA News 12 years talking about the Moore F5 in Oklahoma City that he covered in 1999, the super outbreak in Dixie Alley back in 2011. In keeping with the severe weather theme, as we go through peak severe weather season across the United States, I had the chance to talk to one of my former classmates at Penn State, Noah Bergeron. He is an evening meteorologist WPSD in Paducah, Kentucky. He covered what will probably go down as one of the worst, if not the worst, December tornado outbreak in U.S. history. Famously, or really infamously, the Mayfield tornado. He was covering that at the NBC affiliate in Paducah. I know you, you're a busy man, guy. I had to was doing this solo, but you had a chance to listen to the interview and just what, what'd you think, man, of hearing his story? You could really feel his emotion, what both he and his team was going through. I really thought it was some incredible insight, man.
1: Yeah, you can hear the passion. You can hear the emotion. Uh, My favorite part was the bike helmet. A lot of times, you know, I mm-hmm. don't hear that enough in severe weather coverage. So I, I really can appreciate the bike helmet, the motorcycle helmet, um, or just, you know, making sure that when you get into these situations with tornadoes, flying debris, I mean, it's nice you can get in that spot, but you got to figure out uh, also how to, how to protect your head and protect yourself from fi- flying debris, because that is something. And I, I love how he hit on that. And um, I also love how him and his chief uh, attacked this ahead of the game because, um, you know, I I don't think they were expecting it to be this significant, or at least the SPC. Um, And I love how they were on it and they got the viewers ready prior to the event. And uh, it seems like they were on it, too, uh, with A-plus coverage, too, while this was, uh, you know, happening and occurring.
2: No, for sure, man. And they talked about another thing that's important for forecasting. He, you'll, and you'll hear he talks about the analogs that they were looking back from past severe weather events that impacted their viewing area. And that's really important for forecasting. It's one of the tools us meteorologists use to really analyze the setup for a situation. And you could see earlier in the week, there's maybe the potential of severe weather. But as you really went through the week, the potential seriously escalated. So really looking forward to you guys at home listening to this conversation I had with Noah. He gets emotional man when you're talking about people talk a tornado that is killing member or potentially killing members of your community. It's a serious thing and it really highlights uh, the work that we try to do in terms of saving lives and property. So we'll be back here on the flip side. Enjoy, enjoy this conversation I had with meteorologist Noah Berger we'll be back at the end of the interview. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a, another interview here. Someone that I also know from uh, the past here. Going back to my days at Penn State University, I've got meteorologist Noah Berger. Noah, how are you doing, man? And first off, as we were just talking about, Long time no see. How are you doing? It's been good. It's been good. Finally uh, catching up
0: on some sleep since we've been here. It's been a little little bit of a crazy winter, but we're finally getting a little bit of a break. Excited for the draft tonight. Big night for the Giants tonight. Staying true to my New England roots, my Northeast roots.
2: Yeah, New England roots. Rooting for the Giants, man. I think you're sorely mistaken.
0: No, no, no. See, that's a divided topic in Connecticut where I grew up. No, 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 no.
2: So for everyone at home, where, you know, where, where are you from now? So you work, you work in Paducah, Kentucky right now as the evening meteorologist, where did you grow up? And, you know, for us, weather nerds, man, we always have our interesting paths into choosing to look at clouds as a career. So talk, (laughs) talk to us a little bit about growing up and really what got you interested, interested in the weather at first.
0: You know, growing up in New England, of all areas, I'm sure you're obviously you know this, and I'm, most of your listeners will be aware of this. Every region of the United States has its own, its own claim to fame. But if you grow up in New England, it's kind of the uh, the weather weenie haven, <laughs> to put it to put it lightly. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of meteorologists that come out of New England and end up. Some of them end up coming back. Some of them um, grow up there and they move away and they they find happy homes in Oklahoma city and Dallas and Miami, you know, but there is a tremendous, I don't have a stat on it, but I'm sure it's gotta be one of the most densely populated areas for, where meteorologists have been born from the weather there Mm -hmm. from blizzards and hurricanes and you name it. But I don't have a cool, I I always tell people when I get asked this, you know, I don't, I've thought about making up a story, you know, like my, the hail, hail hit me in the head or, you know, house got struck by lightning or, you know, something, something that hit me directly. Right. I don't have a very dramatic, you know, this happened to me. And then um, I've just always had the bug, man. And growing up, it was always something in Connecticut, whether it be a nor'easter, a blizzard, we had tornadoes. We truly had all four types of extreme in Connecticut. So the the ironic thing was that, you know, we don't really have a lot of schools in New England. I mean, there's really only about three or four. Um, you know, I looked at those and one of my mentors in Connecticut said, hey, you should go to Penn State. You should look at going to Penn State. They have a good meteorology program. And I'm like nine years old. I'm like, what? I, wow. that's, college is not even on my mind. It's like, "What? I, I didn't even think I could get into Penn State, let alone, you know, and so lo and behold, his, he was Dr. Mel Goldstein. He was one of the longest tenured broadcast meteorologists in New England history, in Connecticut history. And so I've kind of followed his advice and somehow got into Penn state, went to Penn state, moved away, you know, did yeah. the four years there. And looking back, you know, sure. I wish I may have you know done better in this class or may have done more time in this, but you know what, the, the experience of going there and, you know, this being an alum too, it's, I cannot speak highly enough of how that prepared me for this.
2: It, it really, it really is the mecca of meteorology. I know there's probably people who went to Florida State or OU in particular out yeah. in Norman who probably would beg to differ, but you know, it really, it really is just an incredible place to go to school. Also, it's an amazing mm-hmm. campus. Someone who went full Van Wilder, went to college for seven years, got two college degrees, you know, going on the big campus lifestyle, man. It, 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 you know, you made the right choice. You, I, I, for me, I had, a, I needed a second chance to make the right choice, but you did it the first time, man. So, where, where exactly in Connecticut did you grow up?
0: Berlin, Connecticut.
2: It's actually the geographic center of the state. Okay, so we're we're halfway between Hartford and the Haven. Oh, gotcha. So, I was just trying to remember this correctly because when I was up at Emerson College getting my broadcast journalism degree, there was a blizzard back in twenty thirteen. And I'll always oh, remember, yeah. man, looking at radar, just seeing this epic, epic snow band through central Connecticut. Were you right in the middle of that,
0: man? All right. You drive my memory. I take it back to not having a dramatic experience. You could put uh, that storm as the, the solidifying factor of my career. We got thirty six inches of snow. I mean, it awesome. was so it was so windy. See, it was this one was different than the blizzard of 78, because the wind, you know, the blizzard of 78 in Southern New England had, it came out of obviously more unexpected nature. Yeah. But one of them had more wind and one of them had more snow. You know, with 2013, there was drifting of all drifting. I mean, this was the mother of drifting snow. I mean, we had drifts that were seven, eight feet tall where we lived. I mean, it was insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Probably never see anything like that again.
2: It, it well i just remember looking at it and there was just this band like i i went to school i was living in beacon hill at the time in downtown boston we picked up you know, it was impressive you know 23 24 inches of snow just one of those classic memorable hardcore nor'easters but i always remember looking uh new haven up through Hartford, and you know getting 36 inches of snow that is, that is a lot of snow someone i love nor'easters that's really what's always sparked my interest in the weather. I, I was like, man, some kid is living his dream right now. And I'm talking to him because, again, I you probably won't ever see something like that again. That really is once in at least 25 year experience. So that really just solidified your interest in the weather. You go to Penn State for four years. We even got to hang out in Seattle together for AMS 2017. I'm- really would like to actually go back to one of those conferences at some point. I got to save up the pennies in the, in the piggy bank for that one. Anyway, so you graduate in 2018. Tell me more about sort of how your road went from Connecticut to State College to you ending up in Paducah, where you've been now for, I think, the last four years now, Noah.
0: Yeah, this summer, will this August will officially be four years. And it was an interesting process for sure. Everybody has a unique process. Yeah. Let's put that out there. We know that everybody's got a unique story about where they ended up, who pursues TV meteorology. But mine was unique because uh, I grew up, first of all, I grew up a, a snowstorm and a winter forecasting guru, Just you like know, me, certainly just like you, certainly far, far, far from an expert, but just to put it, to put it plainly, you know, that was the thing that I spent the most time even as a kid, you know, researching, reading listening to the local Mets, going to the Skywarn stuff, the local NWS, and learning about winter weather, snow, you know, forecasting soundings and everything in New England. I was not really a severe weather per. I, I knew almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just put it out there. Yeah, I got a four-year degree. But at the end of the day, I was a winter forecasting guy. I had very little, very little experience forecasting severe weather, let alone tornadoes. So the biggest thing for me was moving here. I mean, I have been, you know, a 180 from winter forecasting to severe weather because we get severe weather here 12 months of the year. And it's actually pretty, pretty remarkable, our little corner of the, the world. But, you know, when I was graduating Penn State, I put out my stuff like everybody did, you know, send it yeah. out, put it out. Um, but I had actually passed up on an offer when I was, I think, in about March of my last semester, and I passed up on it. And, you know, at the time, I was crushed. You know, I made the wrong decision. I, I passed up something. I'm never going to get anything now. You know, it just didn't feel right. It didn't seem right, you know, oh, okay. at the time. And so I graduated in May, and then I went through June. had a couple of interviews, didn't get much. Went through the first half of July and still didn't have anything. So it got to about the second week of July, which is my birthday, and I'm sitting there like, I, I gotta, I gotta get going here. You know, and there's not enough, we're, we're casting out the, yeah, we're, we're casting out the pole and we're, you know, we're, we're not getting, we're not reeling anything in here. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually out golfing one day with my friends and I get a phone call from a two seven Oh area code, which is Western Kentucky. And I look at it because we're on the tee box and I look at it and I say, hmm, what is, you know, I, Put it back in my, my golf bag and it rings again. And I go, hmm, maybe I should answer it. So I, I excuse myself off the side of the tee box. I answer it and I say, Yay, hey, what's up? This is the middle of a Saturday Friday afternoon in July. Hey, this is so and so, the news director in Paducah, Kentucky. Is this Noah? And I said, Paducah where? <laughs> and then and the rest ended up being history. So it was really, really interesting really interesting how I, I got discovered by these guys here. I'm forever thankful for it um, because we're actually a very, very unique TV station. I mean, many people might not know. We're actually
2: one of the last family-owned. As far as I know, we have no plans of that changing. So That's it. Yeah, truly, because there's been just so much. And this is probably a topic for another time, but there's been so much consolidation True. in our business. So, yeah, the family-owned station is definitely going by the wayside. So, over almost now the past four years, what had your been, what was some of the more memorable weather experiences for you covering as someone very early in their career, you know, obviously, as you talked about, there's only, there's one thing, you know, writing down, uh, all the different, you know, differential equations and stuff on the chalkboard, all the different integrals, when you're learning about severe weather, mesoscale meteorology, but when you're actually covering it and seeing it in action, people are depending on you, but you know what? What was that like for someone for someone starting out, sort of leaning leading up to late last year?
0: The first thing when I got here, that Trent Ogerson, who's now our morning chief meteorologist, he's on mornings and I'm on weeknights, and we make a great, great, great duo, and I love working with him together. Um, one of the first things he told me is that there's a lot of non-textbook meteorological setups here. Interesting. A lot of non-textbook severe setups. You know. I, Heard that and scratched my head, and I said, hmm. um, But you know what? It's it could not be truer because we are in a very unique position, both as a city and as a TV market. Because, little known fact as well, our TV market has gone through a lot of change in recent years. It, we are a mid 70s DMA market, so we're actually pretty big, yeah. but we do not have a true big city you know, we have a bunch of medium and small cities and we are one of the only TV markets where each affiliate is in a different state out of all 210. we the NBC. We're in Paducah. The ABC is in Southern Illinois. Then the CBS, the gray owned TV station is in Southeast Missouri. And each one kind of has its own little core following in each state. Interesting. And we all don't cover the exact same counties. Um, so the point there is we cover a large area now if, once you get up into southern illinois that's not the south anymore that's the, that's the midwest yeah now our southern counties we're almost to clarksville that's the south so you know i jokingly call it we're, we're the midwest south <laughs> in this in this market but we're in that weird juxtaposition because we don't get <clears throat> we're, we're always seemingly at the crossroads between Severe setup to the north, to the west, in hurricanes that come in and recurve to the south.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we're not really we get clipped by everything here.
2: Fat, fa- that's that's fascinating, man. And I didn't realize that in terms. I just looked. Up, I was looking up Paducah, and yeah, the population is yeah. only about twenty five thousand people. And usually, when you think about a yeah. um, uh, DMA in the mid seventies, usually it, you would probably think about a city maybe ten times that size as kind of the the main population base. that so that was real that's really interesting man and i i do want to talk about the you know the reason i wanted to have you on because you really got to cover and you guys were the focus on probably what's going to be at least at this point it might change and we can talk about climate change down the road here and how certain things are shifting probably the worst december tornado outbreak we've seen in the united states and that was back late last year, it, you know, it was called the heartland tornado outbreak. And it was on, you know, it was that Friday night, December 10th, lasting through the evening hours. I want to first off, you know, talk to you as a meteorologist, you know, leading in that set, because that was something that you and I both were conversing on Twitter a few days before we saw a lot of maybe moisture content in the atmosphere, but I we don't have to get too nerdy here, but I remember wondering if it was going to be an ideal setup for, for severe weather. I remember the storm prediction center four days out, didn't have a risk area over Western Kentucky, but it ramped up fairly quickly as we got closer and closer. So as a scientist, man, kind of take me, take me back you know, putting in the three and a half years of experience that you had leading up to that night, what did you see sort of setting the table for, for that Friday night? leading up towards that severe weather that you guys had to deal with? What were were you sort of watching and what initially made you really concerned for your viewers and viewer viewing area? Well, the
0: first thing was on Tuesday of that week, we Trent and I were talking and we saw a lot of analogs that were concerning. Um, You know, it's not about us. It's, It's you know, it's a team sport, both in the enterprise and locally. Um, But like you mentioned that Tuesday, there was no outlook issued and we're not, we're, we're generally very much, we like to stick with the SPC. We like to stick with the Weather service. We're not going to venture on our own. And this is not the purpose of this interview and podcast call is to talk about that or branch out and bash anyone. That's not the point. Um, But just putting it out there, we, we stick to the the color sequence and we're very much in line. We don't change it. You know, we don't have our own color scale and our own system. Mm Um, but that Tuesday <clears throat> we're sitting here going this Friday night man this looks this looks like it could be bad So we were trying to think how can we convey this on day four <clears throat> without a no outlook So we're sitting here on Tuesday and you know we did the uncommon thing where we drew our we didn't really make our own outlook but we drew a surface map and we colored it yellow and orange you know, along the trough because there was a trough that came through that sparked super supercells ahead of the cold front. Yep. Um, coming out of Arkansas and northern Louisiana by you guys, there was the trough that came through up to that low pressure, that occlusion, that sparked the supercells. So we drew our own thing on Tuesday and we put it to air Tuesday night. We said, this has the potential to be a, a significant severe weather setup. But stuck with the words potential, potential. You know, it's yeah. certainly not certainly far from set in stone yet. Uh, So on Wednesday, they come out with already a level two slight risk. So that kind of verified the thinking on Tuesday. Uh, But for us, we spent a tremendous amount of time going back through analogs with that setup. I believe it was on Wednesday. And one of the top analogs that Trent and I came up with was the Perryville, Missouri EF4 tornado in 2017, which was a similar setup. I wouldn't call it the same. But similar setup, um, where you didn't really have a lot of morning rain, and that's a big thing in this this market in this DMA in this region of the U.S. You know, more, less so than Oklahoma and Kansas. So we get a lot of these because we're just how we're positioned relative to the occlusion and the triple point. You know, we get a lot of these setups where we get a ton of morning and midday rain, a limited window, and then you know, yeah. uncertain evening stuff. There was no morning rain with this. Um, the sun was out by lunchtime, and you know it was concerning. But that that analog was a very close statistical resemblance to it, and that it was a deadly tornado that hit 2017. And uh, at, this area has had several EF three plus tornadoes that have been unfortunately deadly since 2010. Every seemingly every two to four years, we've got at least gotten at least one in our area. So that was really the big thing for us is on Wednesday on the Euro. Then the Euro was very consistent for mm-hmm. those people listening. The European model from Monday of that week was very locked in to the setup, the synoptically, how things would happen, the trough coming through, and off of that we identified that there was a sounding that resembled historical event and that's what we ran with. That was what gave us the confidence early on to put out the Hey, this could be bad
2: what okay you know it really interesting man you know that's an important thing with meteorologists looking back through the analogs that can really kind of tell you give you an idea of what could be possible so we get to we get to friday morning as you were talking about there was no rain during the day you get the moderate risk second highest tier coming out from the storm prediction center and i'm trying to remember here the the severe weather didn't really start get going until at least during the mid evening hours, I think for you. So during the afternoon, maybe during your six o'clock show, what type of message we can actually start off with Thursday and then also do Friday night as well. What kind of message were you trying to convey to the viewers is, you know, severe weather can be, it's not like a nor'easter where you have a, you know, a synoptic scale event that can be really easy to pin down and wide range of coverage for uh, effects for everyone in the viewing area what was how what was the message that you were trying to convey to people at home when you really wanted to say hey there could there's the potential for a really high end severe weather event friday night into saturday the thing for us was you know trying to separate
0: this from the the norm mm-hmm. because you know let's, let's be real you and i are not you know i'm not from you're not from louisiana i'm not from west kentucky you know in this area tornadoes happen 12 months of the year yeah it's nothing out of the ordinary everybody from when they're a child in school going to elementary school now you say tornado here in spring it, it's it's just another spring day baby <laughs> you know, tornadoes happen yeah you know it's not like six inches of snow in connecticut where yeah okay it's six inches of snow so i i say that because you know tornado setups is nothing uncommon here it's very common um high-end setups are certainly not as common, but they do happen. Um, you know, we tried to strike the right chord between not, you know, we're not trying to make more of this than it, than it needs to be made because people here know what to do. Yeah. You, know, you asked me, I think the question you asked was what was the message we were trying to get yeah. to people. And the message was that this is not your normal, you know, Hey, there might be a tornado or two in the evening. You know, everybody here has a weather radio, 90% of the people, it's something like that. Everybody knows what to do. Every business, for the most part, knows what to do and where to go. It's very much as part of the culture, the lifestyle, and the society. Everybody's on the same page. But the point we were trying to make was, hey, this is not your normal. I'm going to go out to dinner on a Friday night. I'll casually look at my phone every few hours. There might be a tornado. You know, it passed by. Yeah, most of us will be all right. No, hey, like, hey, stop. Look at us. You need to. You need to alter your plans between x and y time we identified if i go back and air the air checks and look i believe it was I believe it was 6 to 11 we had on air we I mean we blasted this out on every the app the ott the web i mean it was blasted out you know, yeah. loud and clear that between 6 and 11 you need to alter your plans to either be where you would go you know, when a warning came out or you need to be within a short drivable distance to said place of shelter mm-hmm. you cannot be driving for you know do not plan a one hour drive between six and eleven now do not be far away from a shelter because we have a tremendous amount of people that live in mobile homes that are far from cities so paducah is the paducah is the biggest you know city around a good radius from here and we've got murray state where the murray state campus is it's about 40 minutes away but there's a lot of people who live in rural county roads, that for them to get to a friend's house that may live in Paducah, it's a forty-minute drive. So you know what we were trying to get across is that you need to be either go there before six o'clock and just you know hey I'm coming over for the evening let's have dinner let's hang out <laughs> you know don't you know be where you're going to be before six because it it was not a normal. It was not one of the normal days for us because the, we get that all the time. Everybody knows how to handle it; it's not a big deal. No, that that was the big thing was getting into people's heads. You need to take it serious because it was unfortunately from the National Weather Service and all the local media here and the local meteorologists. It it was probably in the worst of way. And again, it's not about us, but from this several days out, just not even in my professional career, but just growing up and you know going to Penn State and learning about big historical events. This had to be one of the best forecasted events in our little, you know, 4 state home here locally that I've ever seen, you know, from di- multiple days out.
2: No, it's true.
0: And be- in the, in the worst, in the worst of ways, obviously in the worst context, but this had to have been one of the best forecasted, you know, two, two days out, it was clear. Yeah. Hey, this has, this is not your normal enhanced risk.
2: Yeah, no, for for sure, and we were talking about Tuesday where we weren't because when you get, you're still looking at really a synoptic setup on Tuesday the trough it's still kind of positively tilted, but once you got to Wednesday and especially on Thursday the day before just especially when you're looking at the dew points, the wind shear in the atmosphere, things you know the red lights are blinking because you were right at that perfect location or in the worst possible way as you were saying close to the low pressure system out ahead of the front. You're just getting this maximum warming. I think you may have set some record highs during the day out ahead uh, of the storms, which is obviously a bad, a bad sign for the evening hours with potential severe weather. So all all the, all the signs were there. And as you were saying, it's between six and 11 o'clock and one of the storms, there's over there. Ultimately, there were 74 total confirmed tornadoes across the heartland, several states, well, obviously the most the most notable one, but there were several deadly tornadoes starting up just out. I think it's seven o'clock. Uh, looking at some of the data here across in northeastern Arkansas, you saw the supercell. We get a tornado warning from the National Weather Service heading off to the north and east. When did when was the first indication to you that? Really, people's lives are gonna uh, are gonna be potentially on the line here during during the evening during the evening hours, Noah, with that supercell starting to develop in Arkansas. I would say
0: so. To answer that, I would say actually it was before then. So I came into work that day about noon, mm-hmm. and I think it was maybe the. It was about two to three o'clock. And we got a run-in of the her, the, the high-resolution rapid refresh. You know very well, and any of the meteorologists or weather enthusiasts listening know. And for those who might not know, who are listening, it's you know one of one of the one of the more accurate specialized computer models for short-range forecasting. You know, only up twelve or eighteen hours in advance. Um, it had locked into a very consistent and a very concerning output. For the evening you know the storm mode we identified was probably going to be mainly supercells which is what ended up happening mm-hmm. with that trough ahead of the trough um there was some concern initially and we were more unsure of this whether or not there'd be actually two rounds one with the cold front later in the night and then you know one with the the trough early in the evening uh, but i had saw that and i mean the the sig the, the tornado parameters were 10 11 12 out of 10. I mean, and Trent and I and our news director, we had a we had a come to Jesus meeting, if you will, call it what you want. But I ended up I put out a post on Facebook. I think it was just before three o'clock. No, no graphic, you know, no emojis. It was it was it, And I actually said that you could, I could go back and pull it up and send it to you. you. Anybody could see it. I put out a post and I typed I just typed. I said, okay y'all, listen here, period. There's no graphic with this post. There's no image. There's, there's no video. You need to listen, and you need to listen here right now. You know, we are confident that there is going to be something bad here tonight. We don't know who. We don't know exactly where. But it's going to be in our area, and it's going to be between X and Y. And you need to take it serious. Now, we're going to get you through it. We're going to get through it. But this is 10 out of 10 threat level. Mm-hmm. You need – this needs to be the number one thing on your plan for the evening. And I think i put that out. You know, I don't know if I'll ever put out a post like that again. I will hope to God I never do. Um, but you know, and that's, you know, you know, this being a meteorologist, you, you reserve, you reserve this level for this type of event. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take any skill to, to, to cry wolf into, you know, like I said, you know, we get tornadoes here are nothing, nothing uncommon. You know, that even down there, um, uh, so it's you know we try to keep we try to keep plenty of room in the messaging and the tone at, at this weather team so that on an event like this when we go to that level we don't normally go to it is clearer than day you know what we're talking about mm-hmm. and it it was so to answer the question it was about that time 2 to 3 o'clock we saw that we talked about it quick and we i put out that post on all of our social media and we said you know what it's going to be bad. And then fast forward to about three hours, two hours, you know, 5:16 p.m. I'm in the main weather forecast at the 5 o'clock news. And this little rain shower pops up, I believe, if I remember right, literally right in Little Rock or just to the north of little Yeah, Rock, around
2: Arkadelphia. Arcad- Arcad- Pop- yeah, right around there. Yeah.
0: Popped up and it had – instantly it had like a couple of clouded ground bolts of lightning, you know, boom, popped up. It wasn't severe yet, you know. This was in the first few minutes of its birth or of its lifetime, right? Little rain shower, and in, I got I texted Trent, and Trent texted me, and we texted each other at the same time and said, "That's the one." It wasn't even severe warned yet, and we, it, it instantly we knew that that was going to be, and it ended up getting severe warned a few minutes later. Then it got tornado warned as it came up to northeast Arkansas, went through the Jonesboro Paragold Market, and uh, yeah. Now, I, nobody could have predicted that thing was going to be on the ground for how, how many miles it was, but two—I think—two hundred nineteen
2: miles total.
0: Yeah, I mean, no. Let's let's be real. Nobody in their right mind could have said beforehand, "Yeah, there's going to be a tornado on the ground for two hundred miles." Uh, but yeah, in terms of the messaging, what you asked, it was it was in the mid-afternoon when it really sunk in for us that something's going to happen, and uh, then once we saw that. I saw that rain shower with the lightning in Little Rock. I don't know, man. There's not a lot of meteorological – I mean, there is, but there's not to the statement I'm saying. We we just knew. We saw that, and we just knew.
3: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, at that point, it became no more forecasting, no more computer modeling. It was, it was now casting. You know, it was getting the word out.
2: Mm-hmm. I just as quickly as we can. Let me correct myself real quick. It was on the ground for 165 miles, and then it sort of lifted briefly, and then was on it. But there yeah. was basically a trail of damage 250 miles. Because we yeah. can talk about this later too. There was a lot of consternation in the public and the weather community about whether or not it had been on the ground longer than the tri-state tornado of 1925, that was on the ground for 219 miles. Anyway, back to what you were talking about with it, with the now casting. So you see it, you can already see it on radar, even when it's non-severe, it just has that look of something that's going to be bad. And it's really going to tap in to uh, just the, the very conducive severe weather environment. So it gets the initial tornado emergency near the Jonesboro area. And that's when it's moving in to your viewing area. So it's kind of just take me to, to take me through what was the setup? with your weather team. How were you guys covering it? You know, there was really two, two major tornadoes that came through your viewing area. There was this one. And then there's one after that, a little bit farther off to the South that did, I think w- that went through parts of your DMA as well. So take me through, what was the setup like here at, at the setup? What was the setup like at your station? How did you guys want to cover it? And then, you know, leading up to when it really was at its peak, as it was heading th- heading to Mayfield. So, you know, what what you know what was the setup for you guys at the station? How do you want to cover it? We
0: had the whole team here, all three of us. Uh, we, we started with Trent and I, and then Kaylee Bowers joined us, and she played a very vital role with our social media, commenting on our Facebook Live. We utilize Facebook Live tremendously here. We're very big advocates of it. Um huge at we're the we're as big of advocates as there are any out there for it i mean we do a tremendous amount of weather streaming on there and we we try to allocate somebody to be on there to answer people's questions in real time because you know whoever's on camera on the feed you know might be covering x it's a lot of people might be wondering about why so that was a very vital role we had we had one meteorologist kaylee doing that she was obviously mic'd up and contributed on air as well but commenting and keep people calm and answering questions on that feed. And Trent and I would go back and forth between the wall and the weather pod, which is where I'm sitting here right now with you. Um, we've got radar scope and GR analyst uh, here at the pod. And then the wall, we had, you know, little setup with radar weather service chat off the camera, like most, most people got nowadays. Um, but the thing, the goal for us was and this stems from our news management and our news director and it, it might sound cliche to some, but you know it's true, and we take it to heart, that the motto of the weather team here is that we inform and not alarm. Mm-hmm. And the other motto our news director has is, our. you might see it behind me, the weather authority, the, the branding here is we track storms and we save lives.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, that doesn't happen every week of the year. And sometimes that might not happen. It might happen once in a year. But... But, damn it, when it does happen, that is when we're, you know, that is why we are here. You know, yes, not to get on a tangent and sidetrack, but yes, when the weather's sunny, yes. The the app, sure, use the app. You don't need to watch the news. Fine. But, you know what? It's days like this, that the, the research, the technology, the understanding, you know, everything in the enterprise comes together in times like this that save lives now we're just one piece of that puzzle you know the people at the weather service issuing the warnings here i mean we've got a as far as i'm concerned one of the best groups here at the Paducah weather office now we've got a great group of people there you know we're just one piece of the puzzle but the the goal here internally was like i told you inform and not alarm because we knew that there'd be stress we knew there'd be Anxiety. I mean, there already was anxiety the day of, the day of and the day before. You know, and we've got family here. We've got friends here. Mm-hmm. on you know, the path. You know, I mean, it's home. It's home for us. So, the, the main thing was keeping people calm through it.
2: So you talk about inform, not alarm, and that's a great, and that's a great motto. I have one thing my chief down here in Shre- in Shreveport talks about is that. It only takes one storm to uh, make an impact on someone's life. It doesn't have to be something that affects the entire area, let's say like a snowstorm or something like that. It only takes one storm to make an impact. And obviously for uh, for you that night, this was really taken to the max. So, but when you, back to this point about inform, not alarm, that ha- it had to have been to a degree difficult when you're, when it's eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, you've got that supercell moving through the core of your viewing area, you're looking at the velocity parameter, you're seeing this cu- couplet. I don't know if you'd ever seen a couplet like that in your career. Uh, so just, you know, take me through that, to that two hour window, as you see this, this supercell, this obvious tornado on the ground, and you're track and you're tracking it, sort of what what's going through your mind in the moment where, you know, there was, it's only that one major supercell right now, but it's just, it's so strong and intense. Kind of just take me back through your mind as you're tracking that, uh, that supercell moving through, uh, through Western Kentucky, through Mayfield, Benton, Princeton. How, how are you and the weather team sort of doing your best to not alarm people, but obviously conveying the message that if you're in the path of this tornado, your, your life is likely in imminent danger? Uh,
0: yeah, it was hard. in um, you know, not going to get emotional. I'm going to try not to because you know we all had people in the path that you know there was a time where we couldn't get in touch with them, mm-hmm. which made it even worse. You know, behind the scenes, you know, Trent, Trent uh, is trying to text some of his family and friends who are in the path, and I had somebody who was in the path who I didn't hear from. Which you know, I'm trying to keep it together on cam- on camera with God knows how many people are watching both here and around the country on our stream. You know, not knowing that my friends, are they dead? Are they alive? Are they trapped? Are they hit? You know, the cell towers got bogged down. Mm-hmm. I mean, the place, I mean, it, it, everything that is well documented what happens after and during an event like this. Um, but it, it was honestly, it became, it, it was less about the science and, you know, nothing, you know. We tried to keep it very basic, you know. At the end of the day, in a situation like this, nobody cares about super Doppler nine thousand X. Yeah. Tr- triple band this. We've got nine storm chasing jeeps. You know what? Nobody cares about that in a situation like this. You know, people care about. They want to save their life. You know, and you know, it. We, we try. I say that. You know, that don't, don't want to come off that in the wrong way, but I say that because you know, we tried to keep the radar very basic velocity reflectivity in the debris tracker. You now, not, not getting bogged down in the weeds with, you know, we try to educate here as much as we can. We're not, we don't shy away from nitty gritty, especially me, um, even not during a severe weather day. You know, the model here is try to, you know, I try to ed- bring people up and educate them and not just water the meteorology down. Mm-hmm. People want to learn. I find now more than ever. Um, but in that setup in that in the, live and in the moment, it was where is it at? How bad is it and where is it going? And that's it. Now nobody care you know eliminate the three-dimensional tracking and the, the scopes and this and that, just super basic, identify where it is and where it's going and try to give people as much heads up as we can because we tried to communicate to people that you're not going to see this. I mean, you know, people could, it was amazing, and we still are hearing stories about this that people who were 20, 30, 40, 50 miles away could hear the roar and the shattering of glass and the wow. noise at night. You know, and nationally, all the attention goes to Mayfield, and I get that. You know, Mayfield was, Mayfield is forever changed. Um, but the, there were so many other parts of our area that got, destroyed that don't get the national media attention you know people will label it as the mayfield tornado but you know it th- there were so many more areas it's not the mayfield tornado you know we've we had people on on the lake you know kentucky lake is one of the largest lakes in this part of the united states i mean people come from around the around the country to come to kentucky lake it's huge and this tornado crossed the lake and it happened across an area called cambridge shores Where a lot of people live in very hilly terrain along the periphery of the lake. And God help us, thankfully, this was not a summer night because, you know, there would have been, however, dozens or hundreds of people out on the water in houseboats, in boats, that that would have been an element that, you know, yes, there's been tornadoes that have hit the lake here before. But nothing like that. Now, mm-hmm. and that area along the lake got devastated. Cambered shores. I mean, there there's there's boats that were thrown like, thrown like a beach ball, and lifted and thrown like a b- baseball across the lake. You know, piers, docks, boats, restaurants, just gone, like, totally gone along the lake, and all the debris is still in the lake. Mm-hmm. you know some of that stuff you'll never find uh it,
2: it's uh, it, it really so is incredible
0: i'm going off i'm going off the rails a little bit but you know it's more than just the mayfield tornado
2: no no for sure and it's again it's every every single person that was like ly- that was lying in the path uh, of that storm again as you're talking about their lives are forever changed and the one thing, the point I kind of want to harp on a little bit more here is that the fact that it was occurring at night, it can sometimes be difficult to hammer, uh, to really hammer the point home about something particularly dangerous and deadly if you can't see it. That was one thing that, that I've learned to a degree and that, uh, that my chief was telling me when he covered the more, the more tornado back in May in 99. And then the, the Alabama, the Dixie alley, super outbreak in 2011, so that those occurred during the day and you could see those. And I so just had, what, was there a degree of difficulty in really conveying the message? Obviously you've got the Doppler up and you can see there's obviously you've got the debris tracker. There's obviously a tornado on the ground. Was it difficult though, when you can't actually see, when you can't actually see what's going on you don't have, let's say, a storm chaser or tracker vehicle having a camera up on what turned out to be an EF4 tornado. Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say yes and no.
0: I'd say I'd say no because the the correlation coefficient. For, you ask anybody now who lives in West Kentucky, the Missouri Boot Hill, Northeast Arkansas, and West Tennessee. You go and ask them online. What's correlation coefficient? Dang it, they know what it is now. And they're always, unfortunately, going to know what it is. And, I mean, under the worst of circumstance, everybody here is aware of that. Um, I say that because I say say yes and no, and I say no because the debris ball, and you know this, it was so huge and clear on the radar. I mean, it was everybody and their uncle looked at that radar and saw – there it is. I mean, it was it's, it, there was no mistaking where it was on the radar in the data. I mean, it was this giant blue dot gi- at one point, a mile and a half wide of a blue dot
3: mm-hmm.
0: on the radar. That's the tornado. I mean, it was clearer than as clear as clear can get on a radar image. So in that case, I say no. But, you know, in the case where I say yes, yeah. Uh, you know, we didn't really get any videos or reports of it until it crossed the lake. Because we had um, we had some people who actually got out behind it and it hit some uh, docks and some marinas, and there was more power flashes there because, you know, there's a lot of, the path it took through Marshall County after Mayfield, there's a lot of ruralness to it. You know, there's not a lot of, it, it's for them, for a couple of miles, it was just hitting trees and, you know, farmland, which that's a whole other angle that hasn't been gotten a lot of national uh, coverage that the farmlands here are they're going to be impacted for years I mean the debris that's in their farmland um, but yeah, it wasn't really until it crossed the lake which at that point it would have been would have been over two hours about approximately in its life's life span that we got an actual image of the, the cone
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, of the tornado some somebody got an image from behind it it was lit up lit up from the power flash. And there, you know, that was the first boom. Wow, there it is in real life.
2: Wow. Well, uh, and, and, yes, yes, or no? Okay. It, no, it's just it's just interesting, you know, when we because one of you know obviously we're scientists, but we're communicators too, and people, as I'm sure you know, they just respond to the visual so much more. There's, you know, we do the best we can in terms of communicating the message and stuff like that, and show them different data. It's really though that image that image can sometimes hammer the point home. So how long how long were you guys ultimately doing live coverage that night? Uh, you know, to uh, the second tornado, I think it was right at the end, might have been at the edge of your viewing area, about another maybe fifty or miles so farther to the south. But how long how long were you guys ultimately on air covering the severe weather that night?
0: When you combine the live streams we did, because what we do here is we'll start a live stream on OTT and Facebook before it before it gets into the DMA, mm-hmm. our coverage area, or before it's tornado warned. It's so like if we feel that something is going to become a tornado threat or you know it's severe enough that people need to know about it, we'll start a live stream on Facebook and the website, and then we'll just rejoin the on-air audience when it reaches that threshold. Uh, but – if when you combine together that because we started that a little bit before the you know actual tornado and before the we actually this gets completely lost in the lost in the sauce of the whole the whole night at about 5 40 we had a storm pop up in West Kentucky actually right near where the the 4 ended up going three hours later that was tornado warning and we were uncovering that for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and that was a shock because the, the cap was still in place at that point that thing popped up out of nowhere and became tornadic. And we were saying, How in the world is this thing doing this when there's this much of a cap in place? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was kind of the that was to go back to one of your previous questions that was another little precursor to that. Holy cow, holy mackerel! You know, because that was really not expected in the forecast, and not nothing came of it, thankfully. But, um, when you combine that early warning we had at about five forty, I mean, we started at about five thirty, right when nightly news came on, and I think we signed off it. I want to say one or two in the morning, probably about two in the morning. I mean, so we were on for a solid five or six hours,
2: got at least. Gotcha, and yeah, you're talking about just as a precursor, something's already punching through, punching through the cap uh, like that. It's just, it's it's a bad sign. So you guys, you're, you're on air live coverage for roughly six hours. Did you, obviously it was probably, you know, people, I don't know if they understand what it's like talking nonstop for that long and stuff and doing that, you were probably exhausted. Did you, did you go home and get some rest? Cause I'm sure you were gonna, knew you were gonna have to do sort of recovery and damage assessment and just really putting things in perspective the next day. Or did you or did you already or did you just have to see you know what had happened that that night because when you're there covering it you it's one thing to see the radar image but then it's one thing to see you know what that storm actually did to your to your community and the mem- of the members of your community for that matter
0: you know I actually uh, I was gonna try to sleep I think I left here at about 3:30 in the morning. And I got home, and I just sat down, and I was just—I think I cried for a solid twenty minutes. And I got home about four in the morning, mm-hmm. and I tried to close my eyes, and I couldn't sleep, so I ended up—I didn't even shower. I just combed my hair and put some new uh, scents on. You know, just spray. You know, just comb my hair. And I Starbucks opened at four thirty, and so I went and got a coffee with some turbo shots. And I said, I'm going, I going back in. And I got back here at about five and I was in our first station car crew to Mayfield when the sun came up that morning. We, I think we got there just after six in the morning. Um, and I don't want to go into too much about that. Cause it's hard to talk about, mm-hmm. but that, that we were one of the first, I, I think we were the, it, it's neither here nor there, but we were, we were either the first or one of the first, media outlets in the region in the United States there. I mean, because by, I say that because by three o'clock that day, I mean, you had, it was like out of nowhere. I don't know how these people even got here that fast, <laughs> CNN and Fox and everybody just, the whole area was just cameras and cameras and media, national weather, the weather channel. And it was, um, but I say that because that morning, It is tough because, you know, the the images you saw in the national media that night and even the next day and the next few days, you know, all the debris and stuff had been moved from the center of the road so you could drive. You know, some of the fires were put out that morning. I mean, there was before the cameras got on everything. I mean, it was a. It was a war zone. It literally was a war zone. Fires burning, people crying in the streets. No cell service. You know we, we could barely get the lot the Avi going for the TV station because there was no cell service and we only have two live trucks I mean there's there's a 128 mile path through West Kentucky destroyed we've got two live trucks and no cell service I mean, I mean yeah um, but that's you know we figured that out but that first few hours in the morning was a level of raw I never want to see again just the blankness and the darkness of crying, burning, you know, you're still hearing glass breaking it, it was a sound and a smell now this is not even the story but the candle factory which the whole area smelt like candles. Now there was so much dye released from the, the candle factory that the whole the whole day the air smelt like a Yankee candle shop and it was the most eerie, I will never forget, as long as I live, that the whole day I spent there, it literally smelt like you had a candle up to your nose. Wow. People were getting headaches, and people were actually passing out. It was not realized until the middle of that day that um, they, they being the local EMS and police, they had to set up a perimeter because so many people of the media and local families and people, you know, even some of who we know, people were trying to go to the candle factory to help in the rescue. With their bare hands. They're showing up with their bare hands trying to find the loved ones. Um, people were passing out and their faces were getting blood red because of the one of the dyes that was in the air was so um, toxic. And the wind that day was, a, it was slight, but it was persistent. I never forgot, out of the north. And it was blowing that dye around. And people were people were actually f- passing out. So they, by lunchtime that day, they we find they finally realized what it was and what how bad toxic and serious it was. They had to push people back. You know that was a whole process on its own. the pushing people back, getting people out. Um, but yeah, the the scent of candles. It, it may sound random, but it's something that, it's I don't think I will ever forget,
2: that. Uh, no, absolutely, and, and how could you not know And the next thing I wanted to ask, wanted to ask you was, it, it you know, what you're describing is just so tough to to kind of to be there and to see in person. You know, did you have any interactions with uh, with people who you know? Cause it can be so tough and you can all, you probably maybe always have the feeling maybe I could, there could have been something more I could have done or something like that. But was, did you ever talk to some people who maybe, you know, thanks to the, you know, your information, do you help me get out of harm's way? You potentially saved my life because that's, you know, the most important thing that we do is during events like this is to try to save people's lives. And did you, obviously, did you ever talk to people in the community about what, about who were able to see what you guys were doing, obviously they lost power, but they can watch on their cell phones and stuff like that. Did you, were I was just curious if you were able to get feedback from people who experienced it and maybe they, they their lives could have, you know, they may have lost their, their property, but maybe their lives were saved from, from the information that you and your team were getting out. We did, yeah.
0: It, it's, 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 it's tough to talk about because the stuff that, I, I, I'll keep it short. There was one family in this, they issued a evacuation order. Everybody had to be out at sunset and we're, we're in a neighborhood in the center of town. And there's a, there's a mom, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but there's a mom crying in the street. She's been looking the whole day for her uh for her dog in the house. The house is flat.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Flat. Totally flat. Um she only survived, again, it's it's not about us. We're just doing our job. Yeah. I mean, this is what any and anybody would have done. It, this is this is why we're here. Just doing our job. But she moved to her uh bathtub and laid down. I guess it you know what, what was being put out from a month from here and had she not have done that she probably would have been dead she would have been dead not probably she would have been dead and she even said that but this the story you know she's been looking for the dog the whole day and i i, I don't have tools i don't have i i, I don't have nothing in my hands mm-hmm. i've got a i've got some water and a, and a, and a jeep i Jeep. We find we, I go and find the National Guard. I walk a couple blocks and find some National Guard guys, and so they come over, and hey guys, can you help out this man, this woman? She's trying to find a dog. Now she claims she heard it a little bit ago. Um, so for about thirty minutes, you know, we're staying there with them. They're they're you know they're a lot stronger than you know me and the. A reporter i was with from the tv station lifting things up taking off the rubble they found the dog the dog was not alive mm-hmm. it was flat as a piece of paper but um had she had not left and gone where she had yeah. but
2: and it, it's tough but um I know it's tough to talk about, man. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I, 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 really though do appreciate you telling your story, man.
0: It's, I mean, it's not about us. We really didn't do anything. I mean, so much more that we. I wish I could have done that day. You know, we're bringing supplies down there and stuff, but. Hmm. Uh Now that it's 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 it gives a new perspective on not just life but this job. You know, tornadoes and specifically strong tornadoes when you've got people. And you've seen it you know, and I know you know people like James Spann and out in Oklahoma City these people have gone, you know have been unfortunately through this dozens of times in a career. but you know man it man, it's
2: tough. It's really tough. It absolutely absolutely and you know one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because it's just what you're te- what you're describing is so tough. and obviously, yeah, what we do, compared to what others do, it might not feel, uh, might not feel as important at certain times, especially when you're, when what you're seeing is just, uh, it it really is a a devastating scene, but it just, it hammers the point home about the the responsibility that we have to, to members of our community. And you are talking about, you feel like there's more you wish you could have done. And, you know, as you start to, to look back on that event, you know, what, what what were your takeaways from how you felt like you communicated the information what do you feel like you thought you did really well what did you learn going forward god forbid you ever had to cover anything like that again hopefully not but what were some of your really your really big takeaways at, you know covering a situation like that helmets we had told people
0: and this, this came from Trent when it was in, uh, when it hit, um, oh, what's the name? not Cersei. There's this, there's a nursing home that was hit in Arkansas. Um, that was the first sign of injury and potential death. It was, you know, one thing that I feel like was good was telling people, hey, go eat. Go get your motorcycle helmet. Go get your bike helmet. You got it in the basement or you got it in the attic, go get it. And this was two hours in advance. You know, go get it out of all your stuff and just leave it out. And that, I I don't know how many lives that saved or helped, but probably many. Um, And the thing that, you know, uh, we could have said maybe more, you know, and we, you know, this – there's something that's obviously going to only happen in this extreme of a case is to, to pe- tell people to put shoes on boots. You know, because a lot of people cut up their feet and that's a story that didn't, I mean, there's so many of these smaller stories, mm-hmm. you know, that I mean, you've, 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 you're a meteorologist, you've been through this and anybody who listens to this, who lives in a severe weather market and has been through tornado destruction, they know this, but you know, that's one of many angles of this whole thing that never, you know, people who might not live in this part of the country never don't know about. I mean, people, people had foot injuries. I can't even tell you how many foot injuries there were at night, you know, because people couldn't find their shoes. Yeah. They got hit and they might be out walking in the road. There's, there's glass everywhere. And you know the, obviously they may, they're, they're going to survive and they're breathing and they're fine, but the, the amount of people with severe foot injuries from stepping on glass that night, I can't even tell you how many it was. It was an extreme amount. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting additional angle to the whole thing
2: is the amount of people that suffered bad foot injury. Okay. Then that's, that's something I never yeah. even, I never even thought of a, a lot,
0: a lot of people. Yeah. You now, cause they, they, they went out, walking down the street and there's, they, they get glass in their foot, you know, they get nails in their foot. You know, even just trying to get out of their house. I mean, you know, they might have socks on, but they they got to step through untold amounts of, you know, debris. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had bad and still are, you know, suffering from,
2: you know, the complications of all that. So. Uh, okay. That's, uh, that's, re- that's really interesting. And that's something I, I, I never thought of in terms of maybe conveying the message to people. So, you know, help helmets and then putting, putting your shoes, good on. footwear, good, good, good footwear. And just, you know, obviously, and then with all the other information, we usually convey lowest central portion of your home, many walls between you and the exterior as you can. And then also just one last thing here before we wrap up is one thing that I, I try to talk about. And I'm certainly, I'm certain this is the situation with what you were dealing with is that people who live in mobile homes, if there's a tornado watch, you if you if there's a friend who lives in a sturdy structure, you need to think about about going going to there because that's you know many times uh, I think a lot of deaths from these storms happen to people who live in mobile homes because it doesn't even take something as large and as powerful as an EF four to completely destroy a mobile home. So that's something that I think a lot of people you know if you wait until the warning's issued, it really is too too late at that point. No, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up here. I know it's been really tough for you. I just want to say, man, I really, I really appreciate you taking the time and looking back. I know it's tough and it's not just, it, it's not for the people who live with it. Obviously it's something, their lives are, 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 changed forever. You know, families that lost, that lost loved ones, but dealing with, you know, just watching and then that feeling sometimes. And I, I can, the way you're talking to me, it feels like, you know, there's always that feeling that you wish you had done more to try to save people because when you live in a certain place, it's your community and you can't, you really care about the people that live in your community. So I'll, I'll give you the last word here, but it just really, I really appreciate you taking the time and it just, the thing It's just, you gotta think is that even though, you always wish you had done more. Maybe there's just maybe one life that could have been saved. It was saved from the information that, that you were, that you were given out, man. So just your, your, fi- your final thoughts on something that, you know, maybe to a degree changed your life and that you'll certainly never forget. Well, first off, thanks for having me.
0: Again, it's, I'm just, I'm just one of, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of a, a large team here. I may be the, the face and the sound on this, but However many people listen and watch this, but it, it's not just me. I mean, there, we have a, a emergency management news team, weather team, weather service, police, fire, community. I mean, there's a whole there's a team of people that made this. <clears throat> the fact that it was not hundreds or thousands dead is still baffling. I mean, honestly, it probably should have been more. I mean, if, if you if you just come up with a scenario EF for 190 mile an hour tornado hitting a city in the middle of the night and only um, a, a, th- this was remarkable that there was not more people killed mm-hmm. from this so that we can be thankful for. And, you know, at the end of the day, just as a final thought, you know, the only thing I lost was sleep. You know, I I'm in no position to, I mean, the friends that I had in the path, thankfully they survived, they got out. They, they actually sped on the highway probably too fast but, but they got out um, they lived on the lake um, but you know there's people who have lost their children and there's there were some children who got killed uh, people have lost people lost their cars their house their their wedding photos their memories one person at the candle factory lost his wife never saw her again now there's people who have lost everything in their life and the only thing that I lost was sleep. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, it's, I hope someday we can make the community whole again and we will, but you know, it, it, it's, it just gives new perspective on everything for me, both as a meteorologist and personally that, you know, as, that one night, you know, 10 seconds, tornado hit your town it changed everything. So,
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just gives perspective. Yeah. It just gives perspective, and in the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're always going to be thinking about in, in total with the whole outbreak. You know, eighty five, eighty nine people lost their lives, or almost seven hundred injuries, and then almost four billion dollars in damage. Again, people's homes swept, uh, you know, swept away, and their lives uh, changed forever. So, Noah, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and really just. Uh, hi- highlighting how dangerous and de- deadly severe weather can be. Sometimes people, sometimes, you know, I see on Twitter, sometimes people want to see severe weather. They want to see tornadoes and talk about that. And it's insane. It's insane. I'm one of those people for snowstorms. I- I'm with you. I want to see nor'easters, blizzards, because obviously, if you stay home and not being, let's say, an idiot here, you- you'll be okay. But severe weather, you know, sometimes there's, there's nothing you can do. And if you're putting the path and that's why it's sometimes I it's just, that's my, my last like, little hot take here. I don't understand why people sometimes root for severe weather to occur. Cause that means as you're talking about here, and it's difficult for you to talk about how could it not be, uh, you know, people's, people's lives could be lost w- with something moving on through, but. Uh, I just, I really want to thank you for your time. No, I really appreciate it. I know, I know how tough it is, but I really wanted to get your story, man, because I think it's an important story to be heard for people out there. So again, thank you so much. I'll let you, I'll let you get back to work and let's stay in touch, man. All right. Please do appreciate it. Andy, you keep up the good work down there too. Uh, you too, man. You, you did some amazing work and looking to see more of the great work that you have in the future. And that was our interview with meteorologist Noah Vergren. at uh, just an incredible conversation at times. I, I almost felt bad having to ask him questions guy. Cause I could tell he was really reliving some, some very tough memories for him. And I totally feel for the guy. I haven't covered anything like that in my career, even though we have done numerous tornadoes down here in Louisiana, also back in Wyoming. I knew you covered tornadoes back in Wyoming but just something is strong and that you know when you see it on radar what's happening it can just be, it can be tough to process and then him talking about going out seeing the damage not couldn't sleep just had to go out there and then talking to people who were impacted by the tornado it really was uh, just incredible being able to talk to him and hear a story
1: yeah it, it's one of those things where you know like where I hope I never have to cover something like that. Mm -hmm. you know just uh it's just devastating so uh you can hear it uh and even all across the country we were all tuned in too uh as that event just uh uh, struck the quad states there um and it was just an interesting december of 2021 because even Mm -hmm. in minnesota we had a couple tornadoes i'd want to say like maybe a week after that um which was just uh an interesting setup
2: it's it was unprecedented. I think it was the first time there had been a recorded tornado in Minnesota in his in the state's history. So, you know, think about that um, as you will in terms of what's going on with the climate. But again, that's the first time in recorded history. At some point, we'll, I think I will do some climate change episodes. We'll dig into that, but we want to focus on severe weather right now as we've been going through the months of April and May. And yeah, he's just such a selfless guy too. The way he talked. The way he talks about the team, Noah really is a great guy and he takes his job incredibly seriously. If you follow, if you can can follow him on Twitter, always talking about the setup for storms, doing his best to really convey. And he really talked about certain time periods where it's like, Hey, this isn't just a normal severe weather event. You want to make sure you don't go like, it's not like something where you go out to dinner and like a storm rolls through, like you want to be at home prepared and that was another thing, Guy, that I noticed an interview, interview, and I'm sure you did too, where he really talked about when you want to highlight the risk, you know, this isn't just another run-of-the-mill severe weather event, because you see severe weather exactly. up in Minnesota, we see it down here, they see it over in western Kentucky, but you just really wanted to stress to the community and the people that, that were watching that this is something different.
1: Yeah, Noah, he said it, he said, you know, in, in my market, we get, we get severe weather 12 months out of the year so um this was not the typical setup this was not just the the tornadoes that we typically get um you know uh, i like how he used that example being from connecticut how you get six inches of snow okay we know that's coming but i mean you know like the 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 big nor'easter from uh, what february 2013 how that was out of the norm how yep he compared the two Uh, With this severe weather event, how this was out of the norm. So yeah, and and that's another thing that, you know, that's also has to be tough to convey to your your viewers when you do get severe weather 12 months out of the year, you know, how are they going to be able to distinguish, okay, I need to take this particular event more seriously,
2: you know? Absolutely. And, you know, hearing his background about, you know, growing up in New England, he didn't, you know, him like me, we didn't have a ton of experience with like tornadoes. Like we'd see severe thunderstorms here and there up in the Northeast. And I, I think you grew up in the DC area in Maryland, America. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we've seen severe weather, but, tor- but tornadic activity, fairly rare for our country, especially strong tornadoes, you know, EF2s or higher and him just learning and just getting better and better about covering severe weather. And they they really did just an absolutely incredible job, the, new, the weather team over at WPSC, the NBC affiliate in Paducah. So just really was just an incredible conversation. Guy, we're gonna be working on trying to get more people on here talking about strong and severe weather, basically up through the end of May. We're gonna be working to get some more interviews, man. Just love talking about people to people about their experiences covering severe weather what it's like, what we can do as communicators to do our best to save lives and property. That's the most important thing we do as meteorologists and someone like Noah, he takes his job very, very seriously. And I really think he's an example for us in this profession, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting with some more um, folks and uh, yeah, uh, thanks. Shout out to Noah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate him for stopping by the Bright Guys podcast.
2: That's right, man. Guy, you have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you back here next time. Take care.